You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean, and we're grateful to have some representatives from the team at 1002 Church, and after Luke 102, where Jesus says that the work, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few, so pray for workers to be sent into the harvest. Uh, they're here today, and uh, there's a couple people from their church. And if you, when you use the restroom here, uh, there's the map of the United States on the wall. And dots everywhere about where we want to plant churches in university cities. And it might be kind of strange to think of Orlando as a college town, uh, but more because there's so many students there, 70,000 college students. Uh, so the next step in our network of churches, the SALT network, in planting churches in university areas is Orlando. Uh, which is really exciting. Uh, so you can stop by uh, their table next to the Connect Desk after the service. They have little coasters here with prayer reminders and uh, uh, what was code thingies, QR codes on the back, uh, so you can have a chance to see how you can pray for them, you can help them. Maybe you're even moving to Orlando or a college student you're graduating and can live anywhere, uh, whatever job you're looking for. Maybe you can go to Orlando and be a part of helping that church get started. Uh, That's our network of churches, so it's amazing to see what our support goes to. Like the things we're giving to through our Let's Go initiatives uh, to take uh, before the gospel for the city to expand that to Tallahassee and beyond is happening in the next steps of Orlando, which I'm really excited about. So can you just kind of give uh, 1002 Church a quick encouragement and just say we're for them. We're excited for that church to be planted. And then uh, tonight, uh, we have our vision night here at 6.30. Uh, we will have City Church Kids open as well. Uh, so if you can be here at 6.30 tonight just to talk about what's happening here at our church to celebrate the vision of City Church, we're going to sing together. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I have a chance to see all the things that have been going on since Let's Go and what's happening in the future. So I'd love for you to be here and be a part of that, getting all the updates you need to get uh, for the exciting things that are happening here. I'm going to pray for us. We'll be in Acts chapter 11 this morning. We're just working through the book of Acts. Back in January, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just going through it. It's Acts chapter 11 this week. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your love for us, and that you have made it known ultimately through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we gather here today and Christians all around the world to celebrate the resurrected, the risen from the grave, Jesus Christ. We believe that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is the Messiah, and we're grateful for grace, that we can be known by you, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm thankful that there's no one in this room that is too far from your love, that has made, been made known by Jesus to all who will believe, to all those who will repent of their sins and choose Jesus over themselves. And Lord, I ask that you, the one who loved us first, that will compel us to love you and to love one another. Pray for 1002 Church. We ask that the verse they're named after will be a reality, that workers will go into the harvest there in Orlando and through UCF and see many people come to Christ in that city as a result of the work you're going to do through that church. We lift up all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today. May we all be found faithful in making sure we're accurate with the scriptures in terms of who Jesus is, that we present the word of God and not ourselves. Lord, I ask you to speak through me, keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city. Also, you be with those in our church who might be hurting this morning, who maybe you've gone through suffering or pain, brokenness, whatever it could be, that they can know that you are near today. And maybe all the answers aren't in front of them, but the fact that you are near is. And I just ask that'll be made true to all who are here today. Let us see Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 11, chapter 10, if you weren't here, I'd love for you to catch up uh, by going and listening to our podcast uh, or watching online. Uh, but in chapter 10, Peter had this vision, the apostle Peter, that nothing is unclean. And that whole idea was to help him see that the bridge between Jew and Gentile, that bridge is gone. And now they're linked together, all who are Christians in Christ, not in their ethnicity or their religion, but actually in Jesus. Uh, so in Acts chapter 11, this story continues. 
So we see this, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And this would have been mind-blowing for them. Like, I can't, I've seen Charlene's baptism a few minutes ago. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that incredible? I cannot explain to you. I cannot explain to you. Like, I cannot exaggerate how huge of a deal it is uh, to go from Mormonism to the Christian faith. Like, I cannot even begin to describe it for you. Uh, so to see the work that God's done in her life, uh, th- this is the kind of stuff that's happening here, where the Jews are shocked that the gospel is going to the Gentiles. They're going, what? Oh, wow, did this, I-, I can't even explain this. And Peter went up to the Jer- Jerusalem, the circumcision party, who were like very strict Jews, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They're outraged by the fact that he would associate with such a people. Peter began to explain to them step by step. He's like, there's a reason why I'm doing this. Like, I'm like you. I'm I'm a Jew. Like, I I know this. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but here's the new era that God has ushered in. He said, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. He's recapping them, chapter 10, of what he experienced. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said. Wow, he says kill and eat, and he says no? Peter's clearly not from Quincy, side note. So no, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. Like, I'm shattering your categories. Now, this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went to the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and call to Simon, who was also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. It was a missionary entering into the home that led Peter there. To let him know that it's through Jesus Christ, not heritage, not generic belief in God, not morals, not values, but through actual faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, that he's the only one who can forgive sin, that that is how one is saved from God's just punishment of sin. As they began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us. That's important. Hey, Jews, it was just like we did. Remember Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came down, the exact same Spirit of God belongs to them that belongs to us, the beginning. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which happens at salvation. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us, we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent. Again, they're stunned, but it started to click. And they glorified God, saying, so then God has given repentance, resulting in life. And you can just always feel them going, can you believe it? Like the tone of their voice probably would have been, even to the Gentiles. Like, isn't this incredible? What Peter's saying is, how amazing that he gave it to us. And now it's also for them. So it's not abandoning Judaism. This is not anti-Semitic, even a, even a centimeter. It's expanding from the Jews, this message, to the ends of the earth. So what's happening here is Luke is continuing to push the understanding that Gentiles who are believers in Jesus Christ are counted as the people of God. 
So they must pursue unity between Jew and Gentile because now what they have in common is the most important thing you can possibly have in common, which is Jesus. In Acts 1.8, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses. You're going to take this good news of who I am, that I'm the Messiah, that I died for people's sins, that I rose again, that I'm coming back one day to make all things new. You're to take this message to Jerusalem, yes, to Judea, to Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. So all that's happening here is what Jesus said was going to take place is actually taking place. And they're shocked by it. Very short memories, or maybe they didn't fully get it, what Jesus meant when he said this good news was actually going to go forward. The biggest issue they had wasn't even that the gospel was being shared, but they entered the house that Peter would do that of a Gentile man. This would have been viewed as completely off limits. Reminds me of Matthew, the book of Matthew. Matthew, a tax collector, very far from God, in rebellion against God. He comes to faith in Christ. Lee's being a tax collector, repents of his sins. And in that culture, a tax collector is not like today where you just like work for the IRS or, and it's just a regular kosher job. Uh, then it would have been that you preyed on people. You overcharged uh, those who were poor because they couldn't say no to you or they'd be arrested. You, you like really were a, a, someone who, you could say, really preyed on people, very far from God. And then what does Matthew do as soon as he comes to faith in Christ? In the next chapter, he's having his friends over who don't know Jesus for dinner and invites Jesus to come hang out. Like he throws a party for his friends and invites him over to dinner. My friend uh, started a church in Virginia a while back called Matthew's Table. And now it's like kind of a weird name for a church, but the idea behind it was that he wanted to be that for his community. Where Matthew came to faith in Christ and invited all his friends to come in, hang out, put their feet up, and spend time with Jesus, that he wanted to be a church that was Matthew's Table for the community. So what's happening here is what Peter is doing is he's simply doing what Jesus did and what Jesus would have done if he was still physically walking at the time, which is to enter the house of those who are far from him. So Peter walks him through the story of his vision and how God had changed his life. John Stott wrote this, it took successive hammer blows, think of a hammer swinging, of divine revelation before Peter's racial and religious prejudice was overcome. That God truly invaded Peter's heart. And Peter was stubborn and resisted at first because it just sounded so far-fetched to him. So step by step, what happened to him, Peter's sharing. And what really took place was that following Jesus now was interfering with Peter's life. Following Jesus interferes with your life. It changes everything. To proclaim faith in Christ is not some random cultural agreement that you make. It's not simply that you aren't an atheist or aren't agnostic or aren't Muslim or aren't Buddhist or aren't Hindu. It means you actually are giving your allegiance to Jesus Christ and when the spirit of God invades us, it changes things. Like it's going to mess with you. It's gonna change the way you think about forgiveness. It's gonna gonna change the way you think about your dating relationships. It's gonna change the way you think about your marriage. It's gonna change the way you think about human sexuality. It's gonna change the way you think about politics, about generosity. Like everything is going to change when you follow Christ. Because following Jesus interferes with our lives and Peter is experiencing this right now. The message of salvation has come to the home of Gentile Cornelius. And here's what else. The message of salvation came to your house. And it came to my house. The reason that you are a believer today, if you're in this room and you know Jesus, and if you're not, we're just really glad you're here and hope that you're learning and understanding some things. You're a Christian because God came to you. And he sent someone to enter into your unclean, figurative or literal house. 
So who needs to be the Cornelius in your life? Like someone brought the gospel to you. Who do you need to bring the good news of Jesus to, even if it might not make sense by the standards of this world that you're associating with that person? And verse 17 says, if then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, notice he didn't say because we were born Jewish. He says because of our faith in Christ, that that is what saves us. How can I possibly hinder God? When I first read that, I was like, who can actually hinder God? Well, this is kind of Peter speaking of authority here, and is he... Is, is he, I believe all scripture is inspired by God. Is, is Peter making a mistake here? Like my, my first instinct was to go, well, what's hinder God? If we can't, this is the God that parted the Red Sea and Jesus who rose from the grave. Like, like really? Like hinder God? Well, if you look at the historical use of that word, what he's talking about is opposing. Opposing God. Like how can I oppose God if these things are true? How can I stand in the way of how God wants to use me? How can I be stubborn and dig my feet in when God has been cleared here? What's hindering is the message going out. And he goes, I don't want to stand in opposition to that. So it's taking place in the story, Patrick Shiner calls, a redemptive historical shift. So a new era has now taken place that fully includes all Gentiles who profess faith in Christ into the family of God. Again, it's not leaving Judaism, it's expanding. The roots are still Jerusalem, but it's expanding to the ends of the earth. The church did not change its strategy. It wasn't like the Jews rejected and they were like, hey, let's have a new plan, let's bring in a consultant, let's figure this out. No, God's the one doing this. He's carrying out that Acts 1-8 promise and he's really kind of dragging Peter along with him to do this great work, and the church is finally starting to get it. Verse 19, now those who have been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, back in Acts chapter 8, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Either they had not gotten the memo yet, the gospel is for all people, or they were still just continuing the work of first ministering to the Jewish people. So it's showing us that this work traces back to Jerusalem, and even though they were scattered, they still didn't hide or isolate themselves from the world. They were still engaged in the community where they lived. But there were some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. That was the message. The good news about Jesus, that was the mission that he really is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one that was promised before for, for all time that he would come and redeem the world. You must trust in Christ. The Lord's hand was with them. And how amazing, a large number who believe turned to the Lord. So when the gospel goes out, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God brings about a harvest of people. Our prayer is that can continue to happen here in Tallahassee, in Orlando, and to the ends of the earth. So here the mission we see moves to Antioch. Antioch was very strategic. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a very cosmopolitan city. There were lots of false gods, lots of physical idols. There was invisible idols like success and money and appearance, feelings. And then there were visible idols in terms of statues and temples to pagan gods. And cities continue to be very strategic in the mission of God. It's not that, that, that mid-sized cities like ours or small rural cities around us are neglected. It's just that it should be neglected. It's just that cities continue to be so strategic because so many people go there and live there. The population is so dense. 
and there's not very many churches in many of our large cities across America. There are some who believe that Luke actually is from Antioch. There's some historical evidence uh, that points to that direction. Uh, so maybe he focuses there a little more in his writing because it's his hometown and because he wants to see a gospel, you know, a, a gospel movement there. I can relate to that. Uh, this is a guy in my hometown who wants to see people come in and have faith in Jesus. Uh, and it's also very near a cult center. Antioch was right down the road, just a few miles walk from major cult worship that was happening. So talk about a place that had a lot of opposition towards Christianity, towards this new faith that this one called Jesus Christ was the Christ, that he was risen from the grave. And it would have been definitely a hostile place. Again, very cosmopolitan, very trendy. I mean, everybody's walking around with their fair trade coffee. I mean, everybody's doing yoga. You know, like all, all, all these things are happening. And here this message comes in that Jesus Christ has risen. And it's going to change everything. Luke in verse 19 is trying to trace this back to Stephen being martyred to show it's actually coming from Jerusalem. So the scattering after has brought them here. And it seems like the more Christians are persecuted, the more Christians there are added to the faith. I'm not wishing that upon us, but it's interesting that when Christians are willing to believe in Christ, even when everything by the world standards doesn't make sense for them to do so, that people seem to come to faith in Jesus. In other words, don't waste your suffering. God's not going to. Like, don't waste it. It can validate the truth that you really do believe these things. Doesn't mean you never have a question. Doesn't mean you don't go, why God? You know how much the Bible is, is people who believe in God saying, why God? A lot of it. So it's not saying that. It's saying that even despite these things, even despite your questions and your frustrations and your fears and your struggles, you still say that Jesus is Lord. And what an impact that can have on people. People willing to give their lives because they knew Jesus had risen from the grave. So as the church is being persecuted, the gospel scattered, and these people don't isolate themselves. They didn't become idolaters either. They assimilated into the city as a community and made the gospel known. One of the early church fathers wrote this, the Christian blood, the Christian's blood is the seed out of which Christians grow. Like we're here today because of the blood of those first believers that that they refused to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 20 shows us how the gospel advances through the mouths of really kind of ordinary people. In verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks and proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not told their names. But God knows their names. And you better believe those folks that the gospel was shared with know their names. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to have a huge social media following. You don't have to go viral on YouTube. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary work. Again, we're not told his names. It advances through the mouths of ordinary people like all of us in this room. And by ordinary people, I mean nothing flashy, nothing crazy. Even if you are a little, more, even if you are known in certain circles, it's a small circle compared to the rest of the world. God doesn't even, want, doesn't even feel the need to tell us their names. Not that they didn't matter; they very much mattered. But they weren't doing it for their fame; they were doing it because of a compassion they had for these people to understand there is one named Jesus that they must trust in. They were faithful, even though their names don't show up. These aren't names that they're going to learn about in Sunday school class or memorize. They're unknown, but God's using the no names to make his name great for all to hear. Then we see Barnabas back on the scene in verse 22. 
Barnabas showed up in the beginning of Acts, and the church was first being formed. He was a pretty wealthy guy. He owned property, and he sold his property, and he brought the money to the church and said, let's go. Like, I, I want to help meet this need to go forward with the good news, to take this gospel we believe in to the ends of the earth. So we see in verse 22 that news about them reached the church in Jerusalem about what was happening in Antioch. So they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, like, God, I can't believe the things you're doing here. He was glad and encouraged and, and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And what happened? A large numbers of people were added to the Lord. What was his message he gave them? He showed up on the scene to encourage them. But what did he encourage them to do? To stay faithful. To stay faithful in a pagan society. Because the messaging can lead you astray so fast. You see it happen all the time. The second one graduates from high school. Those raised in a Christian home. They go away, they come back, they took like one religion class, they met some people, and all of a sudden they come back and they're not Christians anymore. It's so easy for it to happen. Why do you think we take next generation ministry so seriously here at this church? A lot of people say to me, man, you really think it's you know, wise for you know, a Christian family to send their kid to a secular university or a you know, progressive private university, like it's a faith killer. I said, I think it's great if you have a local church that cares about college students. Our college students are doing just fine. And they love Florida State and love their college experience and they're making friends and they're leading people to Jesus and they're part of a local church. Why? Because God never designed us to go so low into the third largest empire or city in the Roman Empire. He starts churches in these places. Churches. People can be encouraged to remain faithful. That they're not crazy. That there are other people who actually do believe that Jesus rose from the grave. That following Jesus really does matter. So we want our, we, we start at home, but we want to come alongside as a church. That's why our entire Let's Go focus seemed to be mainly, it was about a lot of things, but so much it was about the next generation. That's why we do college ministry on Tuesday nights. That's why we have middle school and high school on Wednesday. That's why we put so much emphasis into city church kids. Because we want to encourage these students to keep following Jesus all the way through and come along family, alongside families. Because so many families are going, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Like, this world is crazy. And I would say, well, it kind of always has been. It's just louder now. And we had to make sure that we're clear. Because cultural Christianity is not going to make it. Like, by cultural Christianity, I mean I'm a Christian, but my reason is I'm just not an atheist, not agnostic, have some Judeo-Christian values and try to live my best life or whatever. That's not going to make it. When the noise is all the time, embrace this, deny this, compromise here, affirm this, and, and people just, it's so easy to give in. But I want to encourage you to hold strong. Why? Because Jesus says that we are in his hands. He's holding us strong. So therefore, it's worth every single thing. It's worth every mocking who knows what persecution looks like down the road? It's worth being excluded. Maybe sometimes you get left out of something at school because you're a believer and they know that. Still love people well. Still love God even more. Why? Because he loves you and he's with you and it's worth it. His message is stay faithful in a pagan society. Don't let social media convert you. Don't let it happen. Don't let a random guy on YouTube convert you. Let the scriptures be what forms your life and forms your worldview.
The reason why these, mar- these people were willing to be martyrs was because they knew for a fact that Jesus had risen from the grave. They knew it. So they said, look, bring whatever you want because I know this is not it for me. This is not it for me. There's a world to come that is forever and eternal. It's amazing to me right now that all across the country, it's Bible-preaching churches that are growing. It's Bible-preaching churches that are growing. Because people know the world's messaging is not working. Now, there's going to be people who never step foot in this door unless God does a miracle, which he does all the time, but uh, because the Bible is taught here. That's okay. That's okay, because we're going to equip you with the Bible to go to them. So that's a better mission strategy anyways. Please, I beg of you not to give in to the world's messaging. Not to compromise. We need people who are passionate about Jesus Christ. Not that we're the example. We don't think we're perfect. We're pointing to the one who is. Like, I will let you down. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Because I'm a human just like you. The greatest Christian you've ever known in your life is going to let you down. That's clearly not me, by the way. It's going to let you down. That person in your life. At some point, they will because we're human. We point to something greater. We do not think humanity is great. We think God is great. So let's not bow down to the things of this world. Outside of our personal character and integrity, I think the most important virtue, for lack of a better word, for Christians to model right now in this era is courage. You've got to have courage. You're going to say, what about love? Well, it's not loving to be quiet on the things where God is clear. And it's going to take courage to proclaim these things. We saw that when he went to Tarsus, verse 25, and searched for Saul, who had recently converted, he becomes Paul in the rest of the New Testament. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So they poured into the scriptures together. They studied the Bible because the mission is, is huge and the pressure is real. So we've got to make sure we're grounded in the scriptures. That's how God speaks to us. And now they're called Christians the first time, we're told, in this city. And people oftentimes think it's because they were just so awesome and everybody just loved them and they're like, Christians. It was actually an insult, believe it or not, at this time. It was like a mocking. It was like, oh, it's the Christians. It's just Jesus Christ people. The believers in Antioch were so different from the culture they lived in. They didn't have the connection to Judaism like those closer to Jerusalem had. They can kind of have allies and assimilate in. In Antioch, I like to say, I mean, these Christians stuck out like somebody wearing a gator jersey at Madison Social. I mean, that, that kind of level of like, do you know where he is? You know, that, that, that kind of idea. But actually, we need the kind of courage of somebody who will rock a Tim Tebow jersey in a hostile land. Like, we, we, need, we need that kind of courage. They stuck out. They were mocked because of it. Because they weren't isolationists. What, what a horrible thing for Christians to do. That is so not the way of Jesus, to close our lives off to the world. I'm thankful I was raised in a family where that never happened. We, were never, we never removed ourselves from the world. Or they weren't idolatrous. They weren't bowing down to the gods of this world. And what is everybody in Antioch saying? This cosmopolitan city? They're going, who the heck are these people? Who are these weirdos? And they didn't like the fact that things were changing as well. Things are changing. All of a sudden, their girlfriend's different than she used to be. It's like, well, I don't like this anymore. All of a sudden, someone's being generous. Whoa, 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 it's ours, whoa. 
Things are changing. All of a sudden, they're not bowing down to the temple gods. That makes you feel uncomfortable. You think you're better than me? All of a sudden, they discriminate between Jew and Gentile. People don't like that. Kevin DeYoung wrote this about them being called Christians, like the actual name Christians. He says, this is significant because the word Christ says something that merely Jesus doesn't. He says, Jesus was a common name. It's become sacred to us, but it was like Mike or Jason or Sean in the first century Palestine. Just another familiar male name. I guess today they'd be like Aiden, Evan, something like that. That's like old school names now. And so it's telling that the church in Antioch came to be known as Christians rather than simply Jesus people or Jesus followers. The fact that Luke points this out suggests the term stuck in the early church. The Christians at Antioch not only pursued the ethical life of Jesus and revered the wise sayings of Jesus, they had a reputation for believing, teaching, and heralding that this man Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the long-awaited Messiah and King, and DeYoung closes with this, their new name carried with it theological freight. They weren't associated with just following a guy that taught nice lessons. They actually believed he was God. And it changed everything. The distinction to the world was that they were of Christ. They were Christians. It wasn't a cultural title. They weren't just following Jesus. They were believers in Jesus. And as a result, followed him. Also had missional implications. In a Greek world, they're forming a new faith in a cosmopolitan area. And what happened here was a third race was created. And it wasn't created by ethnicity. Because a church was being built not on a social agenda, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That did not mean that there was now only, there, there wasn't the significance of cultures anymore. Those still remain and were good things. It doesn't mean there still weren't some distinctions that people value and hold to because of heritage. None of those were bad things. Like those still things remain, those were good things. This runs so contrary, so contrary to the 21st century, it's not even that, 2023 view of these things, that we've been so influenced by the world, we can't even evaluate these things really well. Like if you say that he took Jew and Gentile, knocked it down and made one people, it's like, <gasps> but believe me, there is not one racial or ethnical tension today that is worse than it would have been with Jews and Gentiles. So if they can lay it all down, because Jesus laid it all down for them, we shouldn't gasp when someone says that all this conversation about race and diversity and everything else, oftentimes isn't as important to God as it is to us. It's not. Unity what's important to God and therefore unity is what should be important to believers united in Christ not abandoning cultures not abandoning not addressing issues all those things matter because we're in a broken world there's going to be sin there's going to be injustices got to address those things have to but we think in different categories than the world thinks social media says think this way ESPN says think this way Fox News says, think this way. NBA says, think this way. 
Jesus says, think this way. I've made a people. So now there's two kinds of people. According to 1 Peter, those who have received mercy and those who have not. He still names cities and people groups and all. He's not, not getting rid of those categories. He's uniting them. Uniting them. In what? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what's going to last in the future. And one day, every tongue and tribe will gather at the seat of God, at the throne room of God, for all eternity. You know what they're going to be proclaiming? Christ. Christ. Christ crucified and risen. So then we see at the very end that someone came into, some people came into town and predicted a famine in the land. A famine. And they said, well, man, we got to make sure that we have relief for people. So very the end of chapter 11, we see the church being generous towards those who are in need. We really try to do that here. We have a deacon ministry. And in our deacon ministry, we take care of our members who are in need. There's, if it's someone who's a widow, uh, someone who is, uh, you know, in serious financial crisis, health crisis, whatever it could be, like, like our church gathers and responds through our deacon ministry. We don't put it on the screen because, you know, we don't want to, we don't tell, you know, we want to, we're not boasting in those kind of things. We think the scriptural precedent for the church to take care of its members. So we have a whole process and systems in place that the money people give to go to this church and this ministry, we make sure our own, our, again, it's processes, it goes through deacons, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But we have a ministry here to take care of people that are in major need, like major need, because family supports family. If that's a health need, if that's an electric bill that can't be paid, if that's a crisis in their life that all of a sudden everything fell apart, whatever it is, guess who needs to step up first to that? It's us. It's the people of God. It's the church. Why? Because we're unified in Jesus and that's what matters the most. So I know this probably is a little bit of a countercultural message here, and that's kind of the point. And I would hope that we're being, our minds are being formed by the word of God, the Spirit's working in us to not follow the marching orders of the word. Because what's happening here is Peter is doing something revolutionary. He's entering the house of a Gentile and saying these categories are now gone. They're gone. So the category now is Jesus. And he never tells the Jews to stop doing their Jewish traditions and their customs. He doesn't tell them that. He tells them to be unified with the Gentiles. So there's not a direct parallel perfectly because none of us in this room are Jews that know Jesus. At least might be a Jewish person here. Hi, we're glad you're here. But none of us are, are, are that. But so it doesn't, it's not apples to apples. But the principle is absolutely there. And it's that Jesus is tearing down and building in new people. And the people he is building is called the Church of Jesus Christ and extends into the utter parts of the world. So let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that we will be biblical people. Lord, I ask, starting with myself, I know I can be so influenced by the latest social media, the news, whatever's happening, talking points, pressures. Lord, I just ask that I, as Barnabas encouraged, that I'll remain faithful. But I depend on you for that. On my own, I will not remain faithful. So what I ask uh, just for your grace in my life and for you to do that and for the people of this church. Lord, I ask that we won't get caught up in stuff that we don't need to get caught up in. That we'll stand for truth and stand for justice and stand for righteousness, but it'll all be things that are biblical categories, like how someone treats a fellow image bearer of God. How someone treats people that have questions and the compassion we have on folks who are living for the world rather than Christ. I'm thankful the gospel went to those people that it came to us and it still keeps going. So let us love because you first loved. 
Let us forgive because you first forgave us for far more than we could ever imagine. That our sin led you to a cross. That you would die as our substitutes. We would not have to receive the due punishment for our sins. That you have made us new. That you have wiped the slate clean. That you have given us your righteousness. That you're building the church. That we're filled with the Spirit. Lord, I ask from this church in this city that we can see an unashamed people who are convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, let this matter to us. Don't let us be mere Jesus followers. Let us be Christians. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We need your help. And we ask for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Sing some good news.